0: Okay, if you're new or you're visiting or you've missed a couple of Sundays, we are doing the Missional Life course as a church. We're doing it on Sundays. Lots of us are doing it during the week in our home churches, so we'll have a little bit of a... A catch-up time, uh, so you know what we're doing. One of the reasons we chose to do this course is because that we know that for many of you, for many of us, there's often a gap, quite a significant gap between the life of faith that we have and the life of faith that we want to have. And so this is um, almost like a series of tools and a way of kind of opening your thinking about uh, feeling more equipped to be missional in your life and we can have this passion, we can be faithful about how we know we want to live, but we can be actually completely unsure of what this looks like. So the course itself is kind of, and they use this phrase, moving us from paralysis to empowerment. So it's a real equipping and encouraging course. So that's the catch-up. So far, we've talked about the realities of angst. And I've got a picture there um, of a Rayleigh 20 bike, quite a hit in 1984. Mine was gold. I don't have a picture of mine. Uh, Mine had a chopper flag attached to it, actually. So back in the olden days, we didn't have to use helmets. Uh, So we did safety mechanisms like chopper flags. We can see how helpful a... waving chopper flag at the back. They were really cool to go under those bike bars and then they'd flick back up and smack the next person on their face. So the reason um, this reflects my missional angst is because the only reason when I was nine years old in 1984 that I got a bike for my birthday is because there were missionaries in our church and they had to leave and their daughter had to give away her bike. So for me, mission has been synonymous with loss and with missing out, and terrible angst about not having things, and I only got the bike because she no longer had her beautiful bronze gold Raleigh 20. So we've addressed personal angst. We've looked at the fact we need to understand our cultural moment, know who we are, know what we actually offer, and understand that actually God is doing something in the world, and we just get to partner with it. And we also looked at um, the message that we actually carry, how to talk about the gospel, how to understand the gospel, and how to own that for ourselves. So now we're turning it a little more on ourselves, and we're going to look at our identity, our missional identity, and how we can see ourselves in that identity. So today, as lots of you did in your home churches... We're going to look at our missional identity as ambassadors, and I'm drawing a lot from Tyler's um, video and the parts of the handbook that um, we've all looked at this previous week. So he talked about understanding what it means to be called a representative of God and God's kingdom, and to go into the world with authority, but that balance of courage and compassion. And for us as a church, we use this language of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus is doing. And so this actually helps us move through this um, process. We've actually looked um, at be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and now we're looking at do what Jesus did. And the reason these three aspects of apprenticeship are so important is because if we are with Jesus and we're trying to sort ourselves out so we can become like him, we are actually equipped to do what he's doing. And we're actually able to see that that's the next step for ourselves. So putting that time into our relationship with him, working on our own stuff, gives us a reason to look outward. Otherwise it would be all... Just a whole lot of activity happening here and nothing coming out this way. So we really need to position ourselves and see ourselves as having this identity. But let's first of all understand what the definition is of an ambassador. So it's um, the first thing is this identity as an, an ambassador is not optional. So it's actually not a choice. We, um, As Paul uses this language in 2 Corinthians uh, 5 verse 20, he says it very strongly and very clearly. We are therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. So it's kind of happening anyway. It's God's plan. We just are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Uh, It's not kind of an opt-in, opt-out choice. You don't kind of get the feeling from the verse like, hey, this is something you could choose. This is just a little option you could just tag on to your life, something you might consider. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And if we go back to verse 19, um, Paul also says he's actually committed us to the message of reconciliation. So not only are we Christ's ambassadors, just is, he's actually uh, committed within us that message of bringing reconciliation. So it's a plan, uh, it's happening, and you are part of the answer. And you actually carry that message of reconciliation. And you don't have to look too far to understand how much the world needs to hear and see a message of reconciliation, of restoration, of renewal, of bringing things back together as they were intended to be. There is a vast void of healing that's needed to be filled of hope, of answers and renewal. So you are Christ's ambassadors. That's a non-optional identity you own, and you carry his message of reconciliation. And before that, in verse 18, he's actually given you a ministry of reconciliation. So you're an ambassador, you carry the message, and you have a ministry. So you actually carry this message that a lot of us have already experienced for ourselves. That's part of the reason we're here. We've heard a message of reconciliation. We've been reconciled. And now it's time for us to do the mahi. So what is there? Let's go back further one verse. And so now we're in verse 17, where uh, he talks about us being new creation, being in Christ, and we're compelled by love. So what I just wanted to show is it's pretty clear. You're an ambassador, you have that identity, it's part of what we need to be doing, whether you like it or not. So without feeling like you've just been told off, let's unpack it a bit so that you can't avoid it, because maybe if you're like me, thinking of the Rally 20, you've been trying to dodge it your whole life. So we need to see that we're called, but we know that the promise is, if we are called, we're equipped. And he'll place us where we need to be servants and ambassadors of hope. So the second point is this to do with identity. We need to actually embody it. And if you um, saw the videos this week, you'll know that Tyler talked beautifully about ambassadors and brand ambassadors. The brand ambassador endorses or promotes a particular company's product or services. They are personal advocates for the company. They are lovers of the brand and they are influencers largely on social media and in networking and everything about them reflects the brand. So the brand is not an add-on, it just flows from who they are. So Tyler demonstrated this with quite a sophisticated analogy. He talked about the example of Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of America, who was a very impressive intellectual in his time. And he was actually the first American ambassador to be received by a foreign government. So it's quite a flash example. And um, he was perfectly an example of brilliance because he was... um, you know, quite academic and was able to be the the perfect example of America to France. But just in case uh, that felt a little too lofty, a little too academic for you, I've just taken the liberty to personalise it more on my level of understanding what an ambassador looks like. Um, And that really just begins and ends with the word Kmart uh, for me. And whether you know it or not, as a church, you are a brand ambassador of Kmart, because Bay Kids is largely held together by (laughs) Kmart. Kmart. Uh, so when it comes to Kmart, I'm quite familiar with their store, i uh, familiar with their products, I'm actually quite familiar with their aisles and layout, and I could actually find my way around there in the dark. Um, the beauty of Kmart is that whatever city you go to, the Kmart will be the same, and you could find your way around it in the dark. Uh, many aspects of my life reflect Kmart, so beyond Bay Kids, uh, an obsession with stationery, uh, little bits of furniture... Stuff to put in your bathroom. Uh, my kettle was $19 from Kmart, still going strong. Occasionally tastes a wee bit plasticky, but it's, you know, it's, it's doing its, it's $19. It's doing its thing. Uh, present shopping, just advance notice, largely comes from Kmart. Um, dressing my family members, um, largely comes from Kmart. So the list could go on. My love and appreciation for Kmart is vocalised. Quite, quite happy to talk about it. Um, I actually share it and I highly recommend it. And um, so I walk the walk not just talk the talk of Kmart. There was a period in time when there was not a Kmart in Napier. You may not have realised, but we were a void of Kmart. We had to travel to the other side of the Hawke's Bay to Hastings um, and to go. And Rosie and I have done that a few times um, at night because that was the safest time uh, to go to Kmart. But we have one. We have one so close to us now. So Kmart and myself are quite comfortable with being a wee bit budget. Because it's not budget budget, but it's just kind of quality budget. So it's a budget where you might not be able to tell, but, you know, don't look too close. And we're kind of compatible, we're accessible, we're cheerful, super helpful for families. So I possibly will suggest to Kmart, they're not advertising uh, currently for brand ambassadors, but I'm um, moving through the analogy of Benjamin Franklin, and I think Tyler talked about the iPhone, it's just not something I understand. But um, Kmart, I could really seriously be their brand ambassador, because not only do I use it, I feel I'm a good example of a Kmart kind of person. So I have been embodied by the spirit of Kmart. As I'm saying this out loud, I realise the analogy's gone slightly too far. So just rein it in. You get the idea. I've given tangible form to the excitement that I feel for Kmart. Right, so we'll go back to the Bible uh, and just come back to point number three. So point number three is our identity is about spiritual maturity. So first of all, it's not optional, just are. You are ambassadors. Number two, you need to embody it. Hopefully, the Kmart story will settle well. And number three, um, our identity is about spiritual maturity. So not, um, and Matt tied this in so beautifully, not about reaching perfectionism, but recognizing and living according to our purpose, Um, living for the reason, as John Tyson says, that you were actually saved. So spiritual maturity is something to get your head around a bit. It's talking about moving from consumption to contribution. So if we divide it into four stages, infants, children, adolescents, and adults. And if we see these four stages, number one, when you're an infant, you're largely designed to consume. That's a perfectly acceptable, brilliant thing for you to do. There's a simplicity to that, that you are just there to consume. As a child, we keep some of that simplicity. There's some black and white things you just have to know. As an adolescent, and I put this kindly, we're challenging and critiquing. We're wrestling with truth, just don't look that way. And then um, as an adult we learn to give back and we're invited to be part of something. We contribute alongside the work that's already happening. So for us we need to consider we're actually also at one of those stages and we've used this phrase before that you can be a Christian for 22 years like you're a new Christian 22 times over. We can be a Christian that's still in that infancy stage of just consuming and if that's where you are and that's where you need to be, that's fantastic if you're ready to move, you can move to that, um, the child stage of just needing to know some stuff. Tell me the stuff, black and white truth, keep it simple. We all need to also pass through the adolescent phase in which we weigh this up for ourselves. We need to challenge things. We need to critique things. We need to own things for ourselves and work out where we sit on things. And then we need to arrive as adults, full spiritual maturity, where we are able to contribute back. So part of our identity as an ambassador is about our spiritual maturity. Dallas Willard said, The most important thing about you is not the things you achieve, but the person you become. As Christ's ambassadors, you have responsibility and privilege to not only be sent, but to set up embassies, outposts of the kingdom wherever you are, but in being that outpost yourself. When ambassadors work out of an embassy, it's a little outpost of home in a foreign land a little micro-kingdom, and Tyler talks about it this, where the sovereignty of another place exists inside a place. The church, by extension, is like a little embassy or an outpost of the culture of the kingdom of God on planet earth, and we as the ambassadors get to represent the values, the culture, the story of another place while we're in this place. We should be a point of difference. We should be a place of refuge. We should be an alternative. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live at our calling as representatives of the kingdom of God. That's part of our role as an ambassador. No matter where we live, we can see that as being a little bit of heaven on earth and represent the kingdom. This is super challenging for us, though, because not only do we have to internally wrestle with what it looks like for me to have an identity that's an ambassador, but externally, I need to do something as well. That internal stuff needs to impact what it looks like. So I could be like, OK, I understand my role is to be an ambassador, And then nothing about my life indicates that that's how I am. So that's why the ambassador kind of picture and the embassy picture is so important. We need to be externally recognisable as of a different culture. If you felt uncomfortable with being a Christian, yeah, it is uncomfortable being a Christian. We serve a different kingdom. We need to carry and embody a different character. We need to know who we represent and we need to recognise our authority in being this representative and we're called to live it out. When I went back to work, Uh, 2009, after having Joel, I was really annoyed at myself that in my previous jobs, I hadn't kind of put my hand up as the Christian. Someone else had, and I was like, oh, nope, I'm not going to align myself there. I'm just going to be the person that goes under the radar. I'm going to be causing no offence. I'm going to live my Jesus life that way. I'll be super non-offensive, and I will be super non-hypocritical, and I will try and just kind of avoid tricky conversations. But I got a bit annoyed at myself because I want to be authentic, and I want to totally be myself. But it was a bit of a leap, because it had been quite safe and nice and easy just to be nice and good, and not be the Christian. So I decided starting a new job, I wanted to make a difference, I would be a Christian. So it was quite an easy outing, because as how's your weekend? You can either leave out a massive chunk of your weekend, or you can just use the fairly straightforward on-ramp and be like, I went to changed. <laughs> so then what happened, so I was quite, you know, quite evangelistic in my style, Then suddenly you're out and suddenly they know and then they watch. And so I became the Christian and I was inadvertently responsible for every deed, every word, every act of stupidity and brilliance that any Christian on any continuum in any part of the world said or did. I was questioned as the spokesperson for the radicals, the Americans, the liberals, the conservatives, the political, the brethren and the people on the fringe. And my boss, bless him, was a devout and highly knowledgeable atheist. And he was full of all the right questions and had all the answers, and he challenged me daily. But over time, I became the comforter. I became the good cop when we had to sit down with our interns and go good, bad cop on it. I became the pastoral care person for my students who were largely in their 20s and 30s. If there was one of my type, and often there'd be a knock on my office saying, I've got one of yours, and I think, okay, so Joel's one and case so how, and then I'd see someone be like, oh, it's a Christian. Oh, they've got one of mine. I was sent to sort them out. I was even told, look, they probably need, you know, the thing with the, I was like, prayer? <laughs> I prayed for them. I was even encouraged to support them in a way that would work for our type of people. So I got this privilege to speak into the lives of many Christian teacher interns who are out there teaching today and encouraging them to embody the life of Jesus. And I got to kind of speak into what would be their eventual workplaces and their classrooms. And I got to hold to my truth. I had to explain everyone else's version of it, but I got to speak my truth. And then I got to still believe that I could maybe still have some influence on the world. I had permission to be compassionate and truthful, but I was also constantly apologized to for being sworn at and any offenses that were labeled at God or Jesus Christ. I didn't win anyone over. There wasn't a massive renewal. There wasn't an incredible kind of life changing moment that happened. But I bumped into a girl that I taught when we were just at Mahia last summer, and she's like, Oh, that's right. I heard you'd moved away. And she asked where I was teaching. It's like, Well, in a way. Because I'm still not, you know, comfortable with saying what I do. And I've got a great job now to say what I do. Because if you say your children and family's pastor, people say, sorry, did what? So then I eventually explained. So the vicar of Dibley, and we kind of, like, people seem to make that connection really easily. So I told her a bit of our story within the toilets at a campground. And she said, oh, yeah, it all makes sense now. That was a win for me. It made sense to her. John thirteen thirty four. a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's not a boast. It's not a one soul, but it's how I would like to be known. I'm really happy that it made sense to her. I'm really happy that I reflected a little bit of Jesus. And I'm really happy that I was responsive and brave because it took me a long time to get to the point of just owning my Christian label. As Christians, the lines of authority are really clear. We are the people under our Father's authority who have been told to do what the Father does. We are sent by Him, but we're okay because we carry His authority. We carry His seal of approval. We are filled with the Holy Spirit and we speak on behalf of Christ In the world, we get to operate as these dual citizens, as elect exiles who are in the world, but the kingdom of God is in our hearts, and it's much more fun that way. We can compassionately enter into this culture around us, always tied to our heavenly one, but we get to overlap and we get to inhabit the culture and serve the common good, as John Tyson says, and maintain our unique viewpoint. Now, all of this. Would be lovely if it was just in theory. All of this would be lovely. if just a wee talk on a Sunday. A little bit of encouragement. We pat on the back. And off you go. It would all be really wonderful for someone else. If not, there had been a time when your husband one day, out of nowhere, several years ago, states that he feels cool to serve Sam Harvey. <laughs> now, Sam Harvey was our pastor in Christchurch. And we didn't know him super well. Uh, we're thinking like five, six years ago. He's the pastor of our church in Christchurch. And from where we sit in the congregation, we think he's pretty good. Yeah, he's, he's all right. And we kind of like what we see. But Luke announces to me that he feels cool to serve Sam. He doesn't say he feels cool to serve the church. He doesn't say he feels cool to serve our church in Christchurch Beach Campus of Grace Vineyard. He says he feels cool to serve Sam Harvey. And so I'm a smart person. So I write this down in my diary, and I think that's odd, because that doesn't reflect our current life. We go to church, not in every week, people, definitely don't go to church at quarter to eight in the mornings. We, we cruise in in the 10 minutes after the start of the service, and we do take weekends off. And church is something we do, but it's not how it looks to you now. Um, we also uh, don't do much at church, because <laughs> we lead very busy lives. And so this is odd to me. We also don't know the Harveys quite in the way that we know them now. But I note it, and then I feel a little relieved because time passes. And I think, hmm, that's interesting. We'll note it, and we'll see what happens. I'm still a little weirded out by it, but it's fine. Because Luke does like unsettling things, and he likes mysterious things. But I think it's okay because it makes no sense, and as long as I don't talk to Luke about it, nothing will become of it. And yet I find in the summer of 2017 that I, I, queen of not wanting to do anything, anytime and keeping all things safe and secure and exactly as they are, start to feel unsettled. First time in my life. And I think I will not talk to Luke about this feeling. And the more it makes no sense to me, the more I hope it passes because I remember I have had this feeling before. Then all of it's fine and all of it's ticking along nicely until my husband decides to leave his job because he's just getting that itchy feeling and he needs an adventure. And we've had, because we've both had two jobs, uh, we've had a good kind of give and take when one of us has wanted to do something different, but we were in a really good two income phase, which is a nice phase to be in. But Luke decides to leave his job because he decides the itch he's going to scratch is he's going to renovate our very lovely house because we'd got to the stage where we just didn't really know what to do with ourselves, we had, our boys were really settled, jobs were good, everything was good, so let's renovate the house. So Luke doesn't do things by halves, he leaves his job to renovate his house, he's an English teacher and he's learnt renovating from no one, (laughs) but he does like a project. So this project gets bigger and bigger. It actually gets mildly overwhelming. Uh, it was quite serious, it went to an architect and uh, they took it quite seriously. And Luke starts reading a book about DIY as a challenge and how you kind of use the DIY challenge to address who you are. And we realized this little DIY book is telling us to define our lives by what we value. And suddenly the book becomes quite important. It's not a Christian book. It's a book on DIY. (laughs) But we realise what has defined us over our lives is our love for the church. So somewhere in the middle of the DIY, unsettling, I'd like to take on a massive project and leave my job, we find we love our church. And we always have. And then Luke says a sentence that he really needs an adventure. And I wonder what this is going to mean, but I'm starting to catch on a little. And then we have a perfectly normal dinner at a very respectable friend's place and the freaky weird following Jesus Harvey's that I do admire from a distance say in answer to Luke's, I really need an adventure, I'm feeling bored, have we got an adventure for you? <laughs> and you weren't there, but it looked like this. And Sam's a great visionary, and Sam talked to church That looks exactly like the thing you're sitting in and feels exactly like this. But it was May 2017. And in that very moment, I think I felt the world fall apart, not because I was scared, but because I knew we were sitting ducks for this. And I knew in that moment that everything that God had been needling me about and unsettling me about and drawing us into and making us feel like, oh, there has to be more, but what is it? Because life is so nice. I felt like a sitting duck because suddenly it settled. So what I decided to do, instead of conveying that that was a great idea, because I'm weary of the great ideas, I put my head on the dinner table and I refused to make eye contact with anyone. And my body language would have just accidentally kind of shown that that was a no. But what was happening inside of me was a realization that, oh, I'm moving to Napier. I've lived all my life. I was 42 years old at the time. I've lived 42 years in Christchurch. We are from Christchurch. I have never mentioned needing to move anywhere. I wasn't planning on moving anywhere. But when I put my head on the table, I felt deep within my soul that I was moving. And the thing that happens for me is the lists start forming. So as there's some talk about exciting adventures and great vision and super ideas, my brain is moving my children out of their schools, which they love. And moving my children out of their church activities, which were going super well for them. And moving my, like quitting my job that I've loved and felt that I'd served Jesus really well in. And telling my parents. And selling a house that we'd really loved since losing our other one in the earthquakes. And the lists just kept going and they kept going. But the peace never left. And I slept, which is a sign of God if there was ever one. So as my anxiety's soaring, I'm remembering, yeah, I've lived in Christchurch all my life, and I love my life. It's very nice. All my friends and family are here. But there's something that had been unsettling me for a long time, and I felt God clearly say this was it. The one thing he said very clearly to me was to not drag my feet. And I had no idea in May 2017 what an incredible word from God that was. He made it very clear that I was not to go because Luke was going. I had to own it myself. I was not to go because Sam and Jen had asked. I had to own it myself. And that has been an incredible gift to me through all the roller coaster of these last four and a half years. That I chose this for myself. God moved me to this point for quite some time. I'm telling you this story because you get to see this part of our story, but I want you to know sometimes I crack myself up that this is what we do and how we live and it's really hard to kind of explain all the time that this is a really significant thing that we did but it really is just a series of small steps of obedience and really just a life of walking towards the beginning of that maturity to be like what could I give back And all those things that seem a bit random in your life, sometimes those things that you think, I don't know how that lines up with that, or I don't know why God's talking about that. I know a lot of you would have had that same experience. That suddenly things were very real. Small acts of obedience will change your life. Tiny moments of decision will reshape your future, and they will bring you into a season of joy and sorrow and an amazing roller coaster ride. I was excited that in the middle of my quite serious middle-aged, middle-class life, I could have an adventure. I could embrace change despite it being specifically not who I am. I could do things for God still. There was more to be done. There was more to be had. I could live this radical life in a very ordinary, everyday way. God could gently pry my fingers off whatever I was holding on to dear and show me that there was more. Because life is not about managing every single detail very well. It's not about holding on tight until it passes us by. He can be trusted. There is more to be have, even when we're grown-ups and we know better. I wanted to share my story, and there's been so many things that have happened since then, because it is those small, uncomfortable moments of surrender that can change your life. And I don't even think this is the ending because it's given me an insight into understanding that God can still use me and he uses what I have to offer. And even though it can all be a bit strange to me, it's been so life-giving. It's been so rich. That's the word we use a lot. It's been so rich in the stretching and in the challenging. And I really want to, without deeply embarrassing, honor my children who did not choose this. I chose this, Luke chose this, and God invited us into this very gently. I don't think God would have had a crisis in the slightest if we said no. It wasn't one of those feelings. It was, I'm just going to open the door. Would you like that? I mean, it did sound like Luke specifically saying, I'm really bored and need an adventure. And a, a heartbeat gap, and then Sam and Jim be like, oh, we've got an adventure for you. I'm going to go and apply to church in Napier. But it was a gracious opening. But Caspian and Joel had to come with us. We didn't give them a choice. We promised Joel that the aquarium was quite nice (laughs) and Splash Planet was close by. And with that, we told them we were moving. (laughs) But they have been incredible because this is not an act of obedience for them. This is an act of being in a family. And I'm sure years from now, when they're deep in therapy, explaining (laughs) what their parents have done to them, they will realise the richness that has been in their life. Uh, one of, it was actually really hard to tell Christians, my Christian family and friends sometimes what we were doing because it was very unusual. It doesn't feel unusual because I'm standing here right now, but it was an unusual thing to do because we don't, you know, want to unsettle ourselves. But my very good friend, who's not a Christian, was my most encouraging because when I told her about moving to Napier, she said, oh, that makes total sense. This stuff you go on about all the time. You probably should, you know, follow through on it. It made sense to her and I found that something very encouraging that I carried with me me God's been teaching me a lot even recently that there's always more about enlarging my circle about living a life worthy of my calling and Ephesians 4 says this as a prisoner for the Lord then so it's quite hard to argue with Paul when he starts with that you're like okay you yeah, know Paul I'm listening I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received So this is the person we become. We live a life worthy of the calling that we have been given. And we walk it out as though we were actually called. Not with gritted teeth. But in agreement with him and in his grace there will be grace for this for you and whatever it looks like the next verse Ephesians 4 2 lets us know how to do this it says be completely humble and gentle so I'm looking for in a verse 2 a verse 1 says live a life worthy of my calling I'm looking for great what does that look like how do I do that and he points me straight back to humility to gentleness, to patience, to bearing with one another in love. That needs to be the mark of ourselves as ambassadors, that we are humble, gentle, patient, and we bear with one another in love. As outposts, we need to be this to others. We need to be marked by this maturity as whole Christians to others. We need to become more like Jesus and know that his love is transforming us and inviting him to join us. Uh, Michael Bird, great quote from him, says this, The church is no mere passive collection of religious consumers waiting to be wafted up to heaven on a moment's notice. Much to the contrary, the people of God are the creaturely means through whom God's witness and word are carried forward into the world. Until the day when God fills all things in every way, until the moment when the kingdoms of the nation are displaced by the kingdom of our God and his Messiah. In the interim, however, the church is now an ambassador of God's reign. You have been called as the creaturely means, the hands and feet, the embodiment of the way that God will witness and bring his word into the world. And until such a time as that changes, we are the ambassadors of his reign. It is our privilege. It is fairly clearly pointed out that that's who we are. But we get to do this. We are invited to do this. So if we accept Paul's claim, yes, we are Christ's ambassadors. Yes, that's the way he's going to make his appeal to the world. Yes, we are called to participate. Yes, this is a journey of ordinary obedience. We need to feel confident We need to feel confident in his church and who we are as a church, what we bring, what we offer, where we're needed, in and out of the building itself. We can do things as a church. We are doing things as a church. We need to be confident in this identity as an ambassador. You know who you are and you know that you're not doing it alone. We need to be confident in the mission We need to get some clarity ourselves around what this mission looks like, what it looks like for you now in your sphere of influence. So the invitation is this, that in the midst of a broken world, we'd be able to step into this identity as missional ambassadors and bring the love of God to the people that are around you. That we would be able to establish kingdom embassies in our workplaces, in our communities, our schools, and our homes that we would have the courage to be bold and the compassion to be sensitive, that we would ask God brave questions about what's next for us in this missional journey, that we would not discount ourselves based on anything that's going on for ourselves and not limit ourselves based on who we are. There is a cost to this maturity. There is a deep resistance and uncomfortableness when moving out of passivity. And John Tyson says this, we'd love to make a meaningful contribution, but we don't want it to mess with our lifestyle. But spiritual growth happens through spiritual struggle. So what does that look like for you? I want to ask the Holy Spirit to show you, to prompt you, to unsettle you, and to re-engage you with those small steps of obedience, to enlarge your vision. I'd like to ask the band to come up and I want to do a couple of um, things this morning. Uh, The first thing I want to do is commission you. Because remember, it's no argument. You are ambassadors. That's your non-optional identity. But it's really, I think, important to also have a sense of knowing who you are and knowing that you have been commissioned. We're just going to embrace that part of ourselves that is an ambassador. We're going to embody it. We're not just going to sell it. And we're going to show up as Jesus in other people's lives. And the wonderful thing is, you've been placed where you are for a reason. There is enough people that need the ministry and message of reconciliation currently in your sphere already. And the other thing I want to commission us to be as a church is the outpost of the kingdom of God. A safe refuge in the middle of a broken world. A culture that is different and looks different because we serve someone else. So that's the first two things I'm going to pray for you. And then I just um, would love to pray into what the Holy Spirit is saying to you personally. In terms of what the missional life uh, looks for you. What is the next part of the adventure for you. So let's stand and I'll pray for these first two things.